The last time the Browns beat the Cowboys, the year was 1994. Vinny Testaverde threw a touchdown pass to Michael Jackson, not the singer, obviously, and Matt Stover kicked four field goals. Feels like a pretty classic Browns win. I was five years old. The boys and the Browns have matched up four times since then, all of them Cowboys wins. And none of them particularly close, aside from an overtime affair in 2012 that featured the Brandon Whedon-led Browns blowing a 13-0 second-half lead. This Sunday provides perhaps the best chance for the Browns to end their four-game losing streak against Dallas, as the Cowboys' defense sits 17th in the league in defensive DVOA, and opposing teams are averaging 32.3 points per game against the Cowboys through these first three games of the season. Even with the possibility of the Browns being without Kareem Hunt, Cleveland should be able to put up points against a porous Cowboys defense that is also dealing with some injuries. Stopping Dak Prescott and Toe on the other side of the ball is another matter entirely. So can the Browns waltz into Jerry World and come out with a statement of victory, probably one of their biggest wins in recent history? Or will they prove that they're not quite ready for primetime yet, and the jump from the Cincinnati Bengals and Washington football team to a team like the Dallas Cowboys is just a little too much right now? I'm Jordan Zerm, and this is The Rebuild. Hello and happy Friday to all you rebuild heads. That's what I'm calling anyone that listens to this podcast. You have no say in the matter. Uh, Once again, I am Jordan Zerm. I'm thrilled to be back with you, uh, to be back with Blue Wire as we continue down this uh, very strange and different NFL season. But the Browns are sitting at 2-1, and and there is nothing... I guess there is something strange and weird about that, as obviously you've heard a million times this week, but they haven't been over 500 at any point in the season since... 2014 when Brian Hoyer the God and Kyle Shanahan was calling plays so that is a thing within itself but the Browns are coming off a victory against the Washington football team a lot of some homegrown talent on that Washington football team in terms of the Ohio State guys that are a part of that crew with Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young and and Terry McLaurin who Terry McLaurin is developing into a uh, incredible wide receiver it's a, a bit unfortunate that he's sort of stuck in the situation that he is in, but you saw him flash a little bit against the Browns. You saw Chase Young flash until he got hurt. I know he's missing this week's game against the Ravens, but uh, prayers up for a speedy recovery from him. He already had two and a half sacks on the season, so Chase Young is going to be a beast forever. I think uh, there are going to be a lot of questions about how long Dwayne Haskins is going to last as Washington starter, but nonetheless, all of those that combination uh, led to a, a Browns victory last Sunday. A much-needed Browns victory. They were down for a little bit in that game, and a loss to a team as bad as Washington would not have been great for team morale, especially coming off a uh, really well-played game for the Browns, at least against the Cincinnati Bagels a week prior. But I, I think you know we'll we'll start here by a quick look back on that on that Washington game. What was good for the Browns and what was bad, and obviously that the game happened last weekend, so we won't spend a ton of time on it. We'll sort of. Look ahead to the Cowboys game, but uh, I think, you know, the Washington game both showed signs of what the Browns are really, really good at, and I think questions about moving forward, especially as they face off against a team like the Cowboys that are just in a completely uh, different tier than uh, what we've seen from both Washington and Cincinnati. We'll, we'll start with the good against Washington, and we'll start with Baker Mayfield, because as, as everything with the Browns, it always starts with Baker Mayfield, and, you know... I think we saw Baker was obviously very good against the Bengals, aside from that interception uh, to Harrison Bryant that he sort of forced at the end of the game. Um, But we saw a lot of good things from Baker 
in that matchup, um, especially after what happened week one when everybody was panicking and, and for perfectly acceptable reasons when he was just god-awful against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So it was nice to see him bounce back in a game against the Bengals. And then we go into this game against Washington. It's game three in, in, in Kevin Stefanski's offense for Baker. And he he continued to do a lot of good things. Um, some of the stuff that he's doing that is really positive that we were all a little bit nervous after that game one against Baltimore and after a lot of what we saw in 2019, uh, Baker is really starting to, at least for the most part, um, when he when he doesn't have his first read and he is forced to scramble a little bit out of the pocket or move around in the pocket and get off to other reads, he is starting to take either the check down a little bit or he's um, getting rid of the ball, although obviously there was an intentional grounding call uh, that was a really poor play from Baker that directly led to Washington points. Um, but for the most part, he's really starting to see the field a little bit better, I think is the best way to put it, especially when the play sort of breaks down around him. Whereas a lot of 2019 and um, the game against Baltimore, you know, when he was bailing from the pocket early, rolling out to his right, cutting the field in half, which you really don't ever want to do on a broken play. Um, we're starting to see him at, at, a little bit because a, a lot of times on those plays, he's he's rolling out and he's holding onto the ball too long and he's trying to make something bigger happen than, than necessary, especially a lot of times when there's a shallow crosser or, or a tight end who's sort of just open in the middle of the field and it's just kind of a 5-10 yard pass, but Baker needs to make that throw instead of trying to force it to Jarvis Landry or OBJ on the sideline. We're, we're starting to see more of that and I think that's really positive. Now I mentioned you know, the play where he held onto the ball. The Browns were way backed up. And this was the third quarter, and the third quarter was really a problem area for Baker. And what we can talk about is we sort of hit on the negatives of, of Baker in this game, where he sort of rolled out to his right. He held onto the ball for far too long. He could have gotten it to Jarvis. Jarvis sort of popped open on a really shallow crosser there. And instead, Baker decided to underhand it at the last second to try and get it out of bounds, and the ball didn't reach the line of scrimmage, and he got called for intentional grounding. That backed the Browns way up. They ended up punting, and, and you know, you flipped the field in a, in a negative way, and you gave a struggling offense for the Washington football team a short field, and they ended up scoring points. And, you know, Baker in that third quarter, when I talk about the stuff that he had started to do well in the Bengals game, and up until that point against Washington— that's where the bad tendency sort of came back, where he's bailing out of the pocket early. He was really looked just kind of skittish in the pocket. Now, Washington's defensive line is very good, even without Chase Young. Um, they were getting after him, but, you know, he, he was starting to panic, and he was starting to b- become that skittish baker that you don't want to see. And that third quarter against a better team um, could have lost the Browns that game. And when we talk about better teams, that's what we're going to be looking at with the Dallas Cowboys, whose offense is one of the best in the league. When you look at Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, and they added CeeDee Lamb through the draft and Michael Gallup, like they are stacked on offense. And if you have a third quarter like that, like the Browns did, where twice when the Browns were backed up, both penalties and bad quarterback play led to short fields after a punt for the other team. Like the Cowboys are going to score 14 off that, no question. Uh, especially against the Browns defense that is still had some great takeaways against Washington, but is still in general both struggling as a unit, struggling with injuries. 
Um, you know, Denzel Ward's got a groin injury. It looks like they're going to get Greedy Williams back this week, which will be great, but he hasn't played at all this season. You can expect a little rust there. Kevin Johnson still working off some rust of, you know, the uh, just a very typical lacerated spleen injury, lacerated kidney, whatever it was. It was lacerated. Um, so, you know, the Browns are really working their way back. Ronnie Harrison, the safety they made a trade for from the Jaguars, hasn't really got a lot of playing time, um, and now he's dealing with an illness. So, anyway, there's just a lot going on in that Browns secondary that I think is uh, does not bode well for stopping the Cowboys from scoring points. So you're going to have to be on offense. Baker's going to have to be at his best. And like I said in the intro, the Cowboys' defense is, is not very good. They're giving up 32.3 points per game, as I mentioned, um, they're giving up 400 plus yards per game. Now that stat can be a little skewed, especially with garbage time stuff, but, um, they're really just giving up gobs of points and gobs of yards. So like it should, the Browns offense, whether or not they have Kareem Hunt and that's still up in the air, obviously having him would be huge. But even if he doesn't play like this Browns offense should be able to put up big points against the Cowboys. And if you can get a couple of stops or a couple of turnovers on the other side of the ball, um, you can get out of Dallas with a really big win. Um, and as we sort of transfer, transition over to this game against Dallas, it's a really big deal if the Browns can win this game. Not only would it bump them to 3-1, and one, and then you start to feel really, really good about the Browns' playoff chances as, as the schedule sort of um, gets, gets easier after this Cowboys game, but like you just feel like you went into... Uh, a really tough place to play with or without fans. And uh, you made a statement win over a really, really talented football team. And this is the kind of win that like this Browns team needs to have, I think both for itself and for how we look at at sort of what the Browns are this season. Um, Because I think it's still pretty unknown what the Browns are in terms of how good they are. We obviously know what they do well, Um, They have obviously run the ball incredibly well, especially in the second half, both against the Bengals and against Washington. Um, Nick Chubb is probably, in my humble opinion, the best running back in the league. Um, Kevin Stefanski has been very true to his sort of um, 12 personnel, getting the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the ground and letting them do their thing, mixed in with a lot of play action. Um, and, and the Browns have really been able to kind of take teams out of games with their running game in the second half. Um, so we know what the Browns do well. Uh, they also can situationally you know, throw the ball pretty well. Baker's still able to make some really impressive throws. So, But the competition that they've played in these last two weeks I don't think is really a um, the bar that you sort of want to measure this team against. And even though Dallas has a, a pretty not great defense, I think – this is going to be a really good measurement for where the Browns are actually at um, because I do think a little bit of their last two wins feel a little bit like fool's gold, especially against Washington and some of the turnovers they got. Dwayne Haskins, I mean, look, hats off to the Browns' defense for, for securing those interceptions. Like, we've seen teams, and the Browns especially, we've seen corners and linebackers drop balls that are thrown right to them. Um, even Denzel Ward had a shot at an interception that uh, he got knocked out of his hands early in the game or they could have had another pick. Um, So, you know, kudos to the Browns for that. But, you know, Dwayne Haskins is staring down receivers. He's not putting his legs into his throws. He's like all body right now. Um, He's really struggling as a quarterback. uh, And the Browns took advantage of that, as they should. But you're not going to see those type of mistakes from Dak Prescott. Like the the jump from Haskins to Dak Prescott is going to be enormous. 
So yes, the Browns were able to get some toner. So yes, the Browns were able to get some turnovers against uh, Dwayne Haskins, and that's huge. And you don't take that away, and you don't take a win away at all uh, because it was uh, inferior competition. But the Cowboys are going to be a different beast altogether. Um, and I think to to beat this team, if we can look at some trends a, a little bit. Uh, for the Browns through these first couple games, obviously, you know, continuing to be able to run the ball well is huge. And I think the Browns formula of being able to get the lead. Now, obviously, they were down in the second half against Washington for a little bit, but they did eventually and pretty quickly gain the lead. And then you lean on that run game to take you home. And I think that's a perfect formula for this Browns team because of the talent they have in the running game. And they've their offensive line has it's really been incredible what Bill Callahan has been able to do. Obviously, they added a lot of talent in Jack Conklin. Jedrick Wills looks like he's going to be a mainstay on that left side of the line for a long time to come. And Wyatt Teller, just kind of out of nowhere, is playing out of his mind. So this offensive line has really gelled quicker than I think anybody thought it would, and they're doing incredible work, um, both in pass protection uh, and for the the running game. Um, So... You know, to beat the Cowboys, you got to get a lead early, and then you you're hopefully able to lean on the run in the second half to keep that offense of the Cowboys, that explosive offense, off the field uh, as long as you possibly can. So I think that first of all, that's the formula. Second of all, in the passing game, look, we know like Harrison Bryant and Austin Hooper are going to be involved. Um, obviously, getting the ball to the tight ends for especially on third downs. To get easy first downs is going to be huge. We know what Jarvis Landry can do. Um, He's going to catch everything. Really great receiver. But I continue to sort of focus on Odell Beckham Jr. um, Because all of the stats, and especially the advanced stats, point to really positive things happening when you're throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr., it's a very obvious statement. Like he is a very, very good wide receiver. One of the best in the league. One of the most fluid athletes I've ever watched in my life. Just the way he moves, especially when he moves, when he gets the ball in open space, how he moves. Like he's a marvel to watch. Um, last week, he had a catch in the first quarter, and the broadcast ran a stat that said this was the first time this season that Odell Beckham Jr. had even been targeted in the first quarter of a game. Um, that's fairly insane. I understand you want to get the run game going. Uh, You have a lot of options receiving-wise on this Browns team, but there has to be a concerted effort to involve Odell in the game and do it early. He's on record as saying earlier this season that when he gets the ball early on, it's going to keep him engaged for the rest of the game. Now, there's an argument to be made that he shouldn't sort of need the ball that early to stay engaged throughout the rest of the game. But on the flip side, it's not really any different than like a shooter in basketball who, if, you know, if you look at a couple of these guys in the NBA finals, if you look at like Tyler Hero on the Heat or Duncan Robinson on the Heat, or if you look at like the Lakers with Contavious Caldwell-Pope or Danny Green or guys that are really good three-point shooters, but if they're not getting into a rhythm and they're not getting the ball and, and able to get some shots up, like they're going to be cold for the, for the rest of the game, and it's going to affect how they get into their rhythm. And I don't really think that's any different than what Odell is saying or what we see when Odell gets the ball early. Like You get the ball your way, you make a play early on, and you really start to feel like, okay, like I'm involved, let's go, I'm playing well, Like you, your energy's up and all of that. And, and Odell seems like a guy that really feeds off of like 
positive energy. <laughs> and, you know, you have to know that about your players and you have to know that about um, Odell. And so to only target him once in the first quarter, you know, this entire season is is wild. And not only this is sort of anecdotal, but you also look at the stats that, that really back this up. Um, and uh, Ben Baldwin, who is on Twitter, who you should absolutely follow, a big analytics guy. Um, some of the stuff is even over my head, but, you know, he makes it really easy to look at uh, individual players in a game um, and how they did sort of in an analytical way. Um, and the stat I want to use here is EPA. It's expected points added. And just really simply, it basically is, you know, f- when he caught the ball, like how did it affect in in terms of like the points that the Browns were going to score on a certain drive? Like what effect did it have on that? So if you have a positive EPA, expected points added, that's a that means you're affecting the game in a positive way. So if Odell catching a ball on third and 10 to move the chains and keep a a drive going is going to be a really big uh, play for expected points added because you're keeping a drive alive. Um, You're moving the ball down the field. You're getting closer to being able to score points on that drive. Um, So that's really in the simplest of terms what EPA is. It really allows you to see, especially for a receiver, like how they're affecting a game in terms of like their, what, throwing to that receiver, how that's actually affecting the Browns offense. And against Washington, Odell Beckham Jr.'s EPA, again, his expected points added, this was only on six targets, and he caught four of those six. So it wasn't like the Browns were even throwing him to him that much, which is a problem in itself. But it was a plus seven. It was a full touchdown. So throwing to Odell Beckham Jr. six times in that game essentially was you can like added a full touchdown to the Browns point total. Um, which is enormous. As I said, I tweeted this, but the next highest in that game was Austin Hooper, and he was at 2.6. So that's a huge difference between OBJ's targets and the effect they had on the Browns' offense compared to even the second highest, which was Austin Hooper. Against um, against the Bengals, Odell was at 2.5, his EPA, so a little bit smaller, um, even though he did have a touchdown in that game. Um, but just in terms of the rest of his targets and how the game played out, um, you know, it was plus 2.5, but still just like a really, really big deal. Um, and a really, really just positive influence on the game. And when you're, when you're seeing stats like that, um, especially on limited targets for a guy, and then he's still sort of having that impact on the game, it's just like, well, throw him the ball more. (laughs) And especially when it's someone like Odell Beckham Jr., so I, I really hope that, especially this week on a big stage in Dallas, like you know Odell's going to be hyped for this game. I just would really like to see Stefanski and the Browns get him more involved. This isn't saying force the ball to him on every single possession. Obviously, there's a line you have to walk in terms of um, how you want to get Odell the ball and when the right time is to get Odell the ball. But I think early on, especially in that first quarter, especially on that first drive, like get Odell the ball, run up a play to get Odell the ball early in that first drive and then go from there. Uh, I think that's really important to the Browns' success. It bears out both anecdotally and statistically, and um, I think the Browns' offense is just going to be better for it. So I wanted to hit on that OBJ stat because I thought that was really fascinating, um, how he affects a game in a really positive way uh, when you're getting him the ball, uh, even in minimal targets. And I think the formula to beat the Dallas Cowboys is to 
get in the end zone early, use OBJ in that way and the rest of this very talented offense, and then you ride Nick Chubb and possibly Kareem Hunt if he plays in the second half and you protect that lead and you keep that that Dallas offense off the field. And if the Browns can do that, I think they can win this game. I think they have a really, really good chance to win this game with how bad um, the Cowboys' defense is. Obviously, the Cowboys are going to put up points. Like You just have to accept that going in. The Cowboys are probably going to score 20-plus points on the Browns, but you just you got to get a, a takeaway. Miles Garrett you gotta, needs another strip sack. You, or we need an interception. Like There just needs to be that sort of thing happening once or twice on the defensive side of the ball, and you can really put up points and win this game if you're the Browns. And then I think you feel as good about a team and its playoff chances at 3-1 and one beating the Cowboys. Uh, as as you have in a long time about this Browns team, uh, and that's really exciting. And we, all of us, all of us Browns fans everywhere, I think, would be as happy as you can be with that outcome. Um, final thing I wanted to hit on in this episode of the podcast, as we as we get into uh, this game, and this also has to do with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, as many things always orbiting around Odo Beckham Jr. But I had tweeted a clip, and um, it was from an NFL Films. Baker was mic'd up for the game against Washington, which is always really fun. I wish they would mic players up all of the time every game, like Mike Baker up every single game, uh, Mike Odell and Jarvis up every game and give us that content. I need it. I crave it. But there was a, uh, there was a clip that sort of came out um, from that mic'd up where it was after Baker threw the touchdown pass to Harrison Bryant. It was a really nice pass. He rolls out to his right, waits for Harrison to sort of come open in the back of the end zone and and sort of hits him on a rope. Um, As Baker is jogging back to sort of celebrate with his teammates, with Harrison, uh, Odell and Jarvis are walking together sort of off the field and Baker comes up to them puts his arms around them and says, I love you boys, be patient, and then keeps going off. Um, and it was really interesting, my mentions, uh, people's opinion of this clip. There was really no in-between. It was either one, Baker is a really great leader, this is really cool to see, uh, this is what we want to see from the quarterback of our team, keeping his guys engaged, etc. Or it was the flip side, which was OBJ and Jarvis are pissed, look at their body language, they want the ball more. They don't really like Baker that much. They're not really interacting with him there. And this is a this is an issue. And I was trying to think where I fell in between those two opinions. I think the latter opinion, the, the negative one, I think is a little silly. It's a really quick clip. Um, it's really hard to make out what Jarvis and OBJ, like what even their body language is. Were they simply just walking off the field together after a touchdown? Yes. <laughs> um, the clip ends before you see any sort of response from them to Baker. So, and they were, as, as many people in my mentions also pointed out, like they celebrated that touchdown. They were pretty pumped about it. Um, so I think it's pretty silly to be like, oh, there's Jarvis and, and OBJ moping because they didn't get the ball, even though it was a touchdown and they don't really like Baker that much. Like I thought that was a, that was a pretty big stretch for some people in my mentions to make. Now, do I think that like, Baker feeling the need to go up to them and telling them to be patient is good? No, not necessarily. Uh, I think that's that will always be a constant battle when you have this much talent on an offense and you have sort of a system that Stefanski 
has installed where they're going to run the ball more, they're going to involve the tight ends a lot, so your targets are just going to go down regardless. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to deal with both Jarvis and OBJ wanting the ball more than they're going to be able to get it. Like That's just w- what this offense is going to entail. So you don't want to have to be worried about that. You don't want to have to be worried about them losing focus in the game. This is something we talked about with OBJ. I'm not as worried about it with Jarvis. But with OBJ, like keeping his attention when he's not getting the ball. I think those are legitimate things that you're going to have to worry about. Uh, And it's sort of, I think that's an unfortunate side effect of sort of this offense. But I do appreciate whether or not Jarvis and OBJ took it in a good or bad way. Like I, I do appreciate Baker making the effort and taking the time to go up to them and letting them know like he knows. He knows this offense might be a little bit difficult for receivers who are used to probably getting more targets. Uh, so he's going to say that to them. And I, I think I appreciate that. And it, and I think it's bigger just for Baker to be engaged like that because you didn't see that at all last season. And I think there's a line with Baker where when he's not playing well and things are really like the structure's not there, you see what happened last year where he just didn't really look happy playing football. He looks way happier playing football this this season so far and you need like that's part of what makes Baker go is that energy um and you saw it in that mic'd up whether he was you know running after Chubb for a touchdown and then like picking being the first guy there to pick him up and scream in that sort of maniacal happy way that he gets or when he's running off the field at the end and he says I love winning like so it's it's a big deal and I think that is also going to be the one thing if the Browns are winning, I don't think it's going to matter to both Jarvis or Odell. Jarvis had been stuck in Miami on a really bad team with a coach he hated and Adam Gase did not want to be there. Odell, those later years in New York were just a disaster. They weren't winning. He was getting injured. He's getting crushed by the media, all of this stuff. I really do think that like, if the Browns, if this season, if they play winning football and they make the playoffs, like none of this stuff, none of the targets, none of it's going to matter. I think you saw the flip side of that last season when they were losing and you've got stories coming out about Odell telling teams to trade for him on the field. Like this is the flip side of winning and losing when you have sort of the personalities that you have on this team. But if the Browns, and especially if they win this game against Dallas and like maybe OBJ has a big game and they have a really good showing, like it's really not going to matter how many targets they're getting. And I don't think Baker is going to have to tell them to be patient. And I wanted to end on that because that clip was very polarizing, I think, in terms of people's opinions. But I think I personally appreciate Baker getting back to being that leader that he was as a rookie, as he was at Oklahoma, as he really has been his entire career. And I think as moving forward, keeping OBJ, Jarvis, the whole offense engaged is something that falls on his lap. Uh, But if they're winning, it's not going to be as big of a challenge as it would be if they were losing. So again, I asked, can the Browns go into Dallas and win this weekend? I don't know whether I can say yes or no yet. Um, you know, Dallas is obviously upset. <laughs> Their season hasn't gone exactly how they would have liked it to. They're coming off a not great showing against Seattle last weekend. They're probably looking at the Browns as a as a way to get back on track. It is in their home stadium. They are allowed to have a smattering of fans there. So... You know, it's going to be a really tough game for the Browns. And if they lose, it's not necessarily an indictment of where the Browns are at. Now, if they lose like they did against Baltimore, that's a different conversation. But if they keep it somewhat close and lose, I'm not going to be up in arms. Uh, This is a really good Dallas football team, even though uh, their record is not probably what they want it to be. So 
We will see. All I know is that it's a really big game for the Browns, and and if they can win, I think it it does a lot for, you know, how we feel in the rest of the season. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to The Rebuild. Every Friday, I'm dropping an episode, so please look forward to that. Uh, Rate it, subscribe, all those things that people who have podcasts tell you to do. and I hope you enjoy it. hope you enjoy a little bit of the new format, trying to make it more succinct than it was last year where it felt like more just kind of like a stream of consciousness from times. But got some really good guests lined up coming in these next couple weeks. So really excited to be back with you guys. And let's hope for a Browns win. I'll talk to you guys next week.